When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. <laughs> Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What you witnessed was the birthday of the church. Christ had died for the sins of the world and risen from the dead, taking captivity captive, 
setting us free from our captivity, the fear of death, giving us assurance of our resurrection by being the first fruits of the resurrection and promising us when he returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. And so he tells his followers over the course of 40 days to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, to wait for what I've told you about, the promise of the Father. And he ascended, and 10 days later, this happens. They're waiting on the Lord. They're worshiping. Uh, Luke's gospel ends with them in the temple every day, praising God. And Acts begins with them meeting in the upper room to discuss who's going to be Judas's replacement. And in the meantime, they're continuing to wait in the temple every day and having meetings in the upper room. So where this happened may very well have been in the temple where Jesus actually administered. Uh, but that's nothing to part ways over disagreeing where this happened. The fact is, it happened, the church was born, and here we sit 2,000 plus years later. The Holy Spirit was poured out with signs and wonders, uh, them prophesying in other languages, fulfilling Joel's prophecy. Peter begins to preach and quotes from Joel chapter 2. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose, this is 9 o'clock in the morning, but this is what Joel was talking about. He begins to quote Joel chapter 2. And then he goes on in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. This was in the place of his death, and these were the people yelling, crucify him. No doubt many of them were. But let me just pause here, and let's look at the whole, ver whole verse. The death of Jesus was the plan of God, right? Jesus was delivered by the purpose and foreknowledge of God. So for anybody to say the Jews are responsible for the death of Jesus are just being dumb. Sure, there were Jewish people that wanted him dead, but not the Jewish people as a whole. Their leaders wanted him dead. The Romans were ultimately responsible. They, they were the ones in the government, right? Is government not responsible for the protection of its people, right? And... And, but here, God is responsible. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Jesus himself is responsible. He could have called legions of angels to set him free and fried that place, and he didn't. So to put blame on a people group is just dumb. If you're a member of the KKK, get out of it. It's built on a stupid premise. It's dumb. God is in control. Is God not awesome? And from the foundation of the world, Jesus was the lamb slain. And down through history, he laid down groundwork to set his son up to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Tell your neighbor, you've been set up. Verse 24. Sure, he was killed by lawless hands. But then God, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Hello, there was the resurrection. 
Some people act like he's still dead. Oh, no, it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy, but out of it, out of good, out of bad, God brings greatness. Because it was not possible that he should be held by death. As God, how could he stay dead? Amen? For David says concerning him, and he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, I foresaw the Lord, or Yahweh, Yehovah, or Jehovah, always before my face. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. The end of the quotation. Peter continues, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Notice the words this day, very significant. Therefore, being a prophet... David was a prophet and a king. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ or the Messiah to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So David was given this prophecy, this promise, and he delivered it. He wrote it in the first person as though he was his son, Jesus. But it wasn't for him because he died and his grave was there. There Probably a short walk from his grave. His bones had decayed. His flesh was gone. The worms had had their day with him. So the prophecy wasn't For him, it was for his son. Verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. So according to the Scriptures in multiple places, it says Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The right hand is the strong hand, the agile hand, normally. I mean, if you're left-handed, you're, you're normal. You're just in your right mind, all right? The symbol of authority. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. But notice in the prophecy, um, the Messiah is speaking here prophetically through David. I foresaw Jehovah always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I shall not be shaken. So if Jesus is at the Father's right hand, how is the Father... At Jesus' right hand. Someone sitting by you, Stephanie and Jaden, mother and son sitting here. Stephanie is at Jaden's right hand, but Jaden is at her left hand. How does that happen? Well, if Jaden were to turn and face his mother, that would be a different thing, right? So Jesus is facing the Father, the Father's at his right hand, and he is at the Father's right hand. That's simple. Little positional truth there. Authority, 
power, position, right relationship, righteousness. God is one, amen? So this Jesus was raised up and he was exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this, which you now see and hear. He is the one that made this, this one that you guys killed, this one that proved himself was proven by God through signs, wonders, and miracles, and healings, this one that rose from the dead, he is the one that you've heard about. He is the one that sent the rushing mighty wind and this manifestation of fire and the ability to speak in multiple languages so that over 15 nationalities that are listed here can understand what they're saying. Yep, he's given Jesus some praise, isn't he? Verse 34, back to David. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now notice the word, the first Lord is in capitals. Second Lord is only capitalized the first letter. Uh, Because the law said not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Jews developed a tradition of making fences around God's law. You know, if you, if you are going to get ran over by a car, you put a fence up so your kids can keep from being ran over. So, so to not take God's name in vain, they just didn't take it at all. So the reason for the capitalized Lord, that, that implies lordship, but it also implies that the name there actually is Jehovah or Yehovah or Yahweh however you determine to pronounce it. Because we don't know, because they stopped pronouncing his name through this legalistic thing. But it's, it's literally Jehovah, Yahweh, Yehovah, however you do it. They would say, when they read it, they would say Adonai, which means Lord. So they would read this, Adonai said to my Adonai. But literally, it's Jehovah said to Adonai, the Lord of Lords said to the Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's Jesus. He's quoting from Psalm 110, which goes on to say, the Lord will send the rod of your strength out of Zion. That's Jesus. They're here by Mount Zion, the Holy Spirit coming. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Anybody volunteers for the Lord? In the beauties of holiness. Anybody want to live in a holy life? From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want to talk over everybody's head, but Melchizedek is a strange priest in the Old Testament. He was the prince of Salem. It's believed he was the king of Jerusalem, literally at that time. They don't know where he came from. Some people say he was God manifested as an angel or as a, as a human And some people say he was just a symbol for God. Let's let the theologians argue about that. The point is, he wasn't of the tribe of Levi. And yet he was respected as a priest. And so much so that Abraham paid tithe to him. Jesus is a priest, not of the tribe of Levi. He's of the tribe of Judah. That's what makes him king. But he's after the order of Melchizedek. So this that Peter is quoting 
is definitely Jesus. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God proved to be who he was by signs, wonders, and miracles. He's made him both Lord and Christ. Both Lord, both Adonai and Messiah. God has done this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I mean, they were astonished. They knew about his life. They knew about his death. They knew about his empty tomb. They knew about his ascension. And now this phenomenal thing happens. What's going on? So they say, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Can we say immersed? In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. Can we say removal? Removal of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Who has heard the Lord call on you to give your life to him, to obey him? That was Acts 2, 22 through 39, and we'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us today from your word, that when we leave here, we would be hungry for the Holy Spirit to be active and operating and filling all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord willing, I'd like to speak to you on the good news or the gospel of the son of David. I thought the gospel was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is. It's this good news or this great story of Jesus. But one of the names of Jesus is son of David. We know of him as a son of God. We know of him <clears throat> as a son of man. He is also known as a son of of David. Now some background. This event occurred 50 days from Jesus' death. But it also happened to be 50 days from Passover because Christ was killed at Passover. Passover was a celebration of Israel's freedom from slavery on the night of the Passover. An innocent lamb was killed in each household or between households that had to share. The lamb's blood was shed. The lamb was eaten and the lamb's blood was put on the doorposts of that house at the original Passover. And that night, God's judgment passed over the houses where a lamb had died and blood had been applied to that house. But the Egyptians, the cruel slave masters, experienced a great tragedy to the point it broke their hearts, and they let them go free. So they remember that to this day, uh, practicing Jews and even... Jews that don't practice Judaism celebrate Passover, the day they were delivered from slavery. Well, Christ is known as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how John the Baptist introduced him. And through his death, God's judgment passes over us. He was judged for us. Him, as Peter said, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God allowed him to be taken by lawless hands and to be put to death. So through faith in his blood applied to our hearts, we are passed over on judgment day. We are blessed. We are freed from bondage to sin. But he didn't stop there. The lamb rose from the dead and is now our priest. Not after the Levite, not according to the law of Moses, but according to the faith of Abraham, he is our priest. And 
he makes sure we, see, we receive the full benefits of his covenant. So paralleling Passover and Pentecost, this was on the day of Pentecost, which means 50 days. 50 days after Passover, they celebrate Pentecost, which is the day that Moses went to Mount Sinai and received the law, the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. But they were broken before Moses completely had them delivered to the people. And that day judgment came and 3,000 people were judged severely. But on this day, the Holy Spirit comes to write His laws in our hearts rather than tablets of stone. And this too had been prophesied that it would happen. And 3,000 people find life. Another parallel is the Tower of Babel, where man had united and was uh, developing their own religion and going to build a tower, I guess, to protect them from the flood or whatever. And God wanted them to populate the earth, have dominion over the earth, but they wanted to just build a big city and stay there, us four and no more kind of concept. So to scatter them, God came down and changed their languages. That's why we have all these languages in the world. Well, here, through the changing of languages, God unites nations. Where he had scattered nations... Here he is uniting nations. This all happened 50 days after Jesus' death. They all knew about Jesus' death. Uh, This day was the anniversary of David's death. This day, his tomb is with us to this day. On that day, it was an anniversary of David's death. They remember King David as well. So knowing Jesus' death, knowing his empty tomb, What kind of impact did this sermon have? I mean, it really resonated with him. It was the place of his burial. 1 Kings chapter 2.10 talked about David resting with his fathers and being buried in the city of David. Now, when you see the city of David mentioned in the Old Testament, it's primarily talking about Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, you see it talking about Bethlehem because that's where David was born. The angels told the shepherds, this day in the city of David, you'll see a Savior, Christ the Lord. So it is, Bethlehem is the city of David, that's where he was born, but Jerusalem is also the city of David because he conquered it. When, before he was king, when he killed the giant, remember that story? Jeff did such a great job of showing us the fullness of that story. He cut the, the giant's head off and took it for a walk. Guess where he took that head? He took it to Jerusalem which was under Jebusite control. He took the head of a giant to go see his next giant. No longer just looking back at the lion and the bear. Now he's looking forward to the next giant. Today, the United Nations is saying they don't have claim. The Jewish people do not have claim to Jerusalem. People are trying to say David never existed. It's It's a... a lot of baloney. Well, David conquered it. Well, we conquered America. I mean, if they've got to give Jerusalem back, then let's all go back to Europe and see how that works for us. Of course, we're all not from Europe. Some of us got to go back to other places too. The world is what it is, and we move forward. But God promised this land to the Jewish people. And of course, 
Psalm 1 tells it, David prophesied it. The heathen will rage against God and against, against his people. Back to the sermon there. They were near Christ's empty tomb. Now, Pentecost wasn't the most popular of festivals. The Passover was. So if you traveled across the Roman Empire to go to a feast, you would go to Passover. But it's such a huge journey. Why not stay through to Pentecost? So a lot of these people who were from out of town had been there from Passover to Pentecost. They had been there long enough to hear the whole story of Jesus. So they were all able to connect with what Jesus had done. They were set up. David, back to David, he was promised an eternally ruling son. In Psalm 89.4, God tells him, Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. That's forever. Now, the rabbis will tell you this is the Messiah. Jesus was often called the son of David. Why? He was the Messiah. People that believed he was a Messiah would call him that. Matthew 1.1 opens with these words, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The angel told Mary in Luke 1, He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give to him the throne of his father, David. So seeing this, they believe that when he came, he would conquer the Romans for them. It'll be glorious. Not knowing that in the Old Testament are also prophecies about the Messiah's suffering. So there's the suffering Messiah prophecies and the conquering Messiah prophecies. He came and fulfilled the suffering Messiah prophecies. And now we're living between the fulfillment of the suffering Messiah prophecies, which were fulfilled in the conquering Messiah prophecies, which are not completely fulfilled. In the meantime, he is sending the Holy Spirit to his people to empower us to establish his rule and reign. Any ex-rebels in the house? Jesus is ruling in your heart. You're coming under his dominion. You were an enemy of God. Now you are a friend. He was called the son of David by some blind men in Matthew 9. Son of David, heal us. A crowd of people in 1223. And in Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman comes to him with a great need. She calls him son of David. Two more blind men cry out, son of David. In some of these occasions, people tried to get him, don't say that, stop that. And they would cry out all the more. It wasn't just because they were disturbing the peace, but they were highly honoring someone and they... It would be blasphemy if it wasn't true. A multitude on Palm Sunday and the same day, children in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, glory to God in the highest. Blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, and he's not named in Luke 18, but it's him. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now when asked, the rabbis would tell you that the Messiah is going to be David's seed. And Jesus would have fun with them. When they would ask him questions, trick questions, trying to trip him up so that they could pin some crime on him, he would ask them this question. 
While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. If he is David's son, how can David call him Lord? Because the father gets the most honor, right? Well, according to another New Testament scripture, Jesus is called the root and offspring of David. He's David's son, yes, is also his root. Covenant friend with Abraham, the creator, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit was given as David predicted. Now listen to this. We read it earlier, verse 33 of Acts 2. Therefore, speaking of Jesus, being exalted to the right hand of God, position of power and authority, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, received this gift, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. He poured out the wind and the sound and the fire and supernatural ability to speak in unknown languages. He did this. Well, David prophesied this in Isaiah 68, speaking to Jesus, you have ascended on high. That's Jesus. You have led captivity captive. He conquered death. So we no longer have to be bound to the fear of death. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell there. Now, notice the italicized word from, an italicized word there. So you could re really read it. You have received gifts among men, even the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell. Now, in, he, in, if, in um, Philippians 4, Paul quotes this in talking about ministry gifts. He said that Jesus ascended on high and gave gifts to men. But here it says he received gifts among men. It's a picture of conquest. When a king would conquer another territory, they would bring back all the booties, pardon my French, but, but the rewards, the treasures, and distribute it to their loyal citizens. They would receive it from their conquest. So how does he receive gifts among men? Well, the word among also could be translated for. He received gifts for distributing to people. He conquered death, hell and the grave. He ascends to heaven, given the rightful position of authority and power, the right hand of the Father. And he receives from the Father the right to pour out his Holy Spirit. Even the rebellious. Unlike modern kings, even people that aren't worthy. Even these folks that had part in his crucifixion. 
How? So that the Lord might dwell among them. Jeremiah prophesied, No more shall a man say, Know the Lord, for everyone shall know the Lord. Like his neighbor. We're called to be friends of God. This is a beautiful truth that the son of David, as predicted by David, would ascend on high, take captivity captive, and receive gifts for people to give to us, even those of us that are not worthy of it, so that we could be a habitation of God in the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? So moved with the crowd that 3,000 people were baptized that day. They went home wet. Now, the Jewish temple had mikvahs, or, or baptismal pools, places where converts would go or festivals uh, people could go and be immersed every year if they wanted as a sign of cleansing. So in Christianity, we also have our immersion that we do through faith in Christ. So that, my friend, is the gospel of the son of David. He is the king that continues to rule. He gives the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, His authority is planted in our hearts and we desire, He puts a want to in us. Rebellious people just don't want to be obedient people. But when God comes in our life, we may still have measures of rebellion from time to time in our life, but we are always brought back to a place of repentance before God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's working in our lives bringing us to a place of allowing him to conquer us. So we become the loyal subjects of the royal line of King David, his son Jesus. You may say, I'm a Gentile. What's the big deal with all this Jewish stuff? What's the big deal? Well, it's for us too. When they asked him, what shall we do? They weren't saying, what's the big deal? They understood what the big deal was. This was the prophecies of the Messiah they longed for being fulfilled in their midst. What can we do? We're guilty. We're in need. His response is the same response for us. What's the big deal? Each of you must repent of your sin and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be immersed in his name in his authority, become his representative, become his property, as it were, in his name, means so much for the forgiveness of your sins. But it begins with believing and repenting. If you've heard the gospel, you find yourself believing, turn from your sin. Give your life to the Lord. Your sins will be forgiven. And because your sins have been forgiven, be baptized. What is sin? It's rebellion against God. And when you ask him for forgiveness, do you want to continue rebelling against him? No, you want to obey. And so because your sins have been forgiven, now you want to obey him by being baptized in water. If I go to the store for my wife, I'm not going to the store to get a wife. I'm going to the store because I have a wife. I'm going to the store for my wife. I'm baptized for the forgiveness of sins that I've already given in Jesus. That's why whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And then we follow that through by being baptized. Well, pastor, you're going to talk people out of being baptized. No, you can't do that. When people become believers, they want to be baptized. They want to. 
You don't have to give a big sales pitch and tell them, you have to be baptized. You have to. How dare you say that, preacher? People will argue all the time about baptism. And it's the dumbest thing in the world. I've never met a person who's a true believer who didn't want to be baptized. It's dumb to argue about it. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children, even to the Gentiles. Hello, Gentile folks. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Well, I'm not Gentile. I'm Jewish. Well, even more so is this for you. Have you obeyed the Lord? Have you turned from your sin? Have you been baptized? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe when I believe that I receive the gift. It all happens at the same time. Well, it can. In Acts 10, it did. They believed while they heard the gospel, and they all suddenly began speaking in tongues. Before, they were baptized in water. Then they were baptized. So it can happen at the same time. The point is, it can happen separately too, as it did in this case. The followers of Jesus were already believers. They'd already repented. They'd already been baptized. They waited for the promise to come. The promise came. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, they hear the gospel They are baptized, and Peter comes to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, Paul Paul finds believers who needed to be baptized. He baptized them. Then he laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And in their case, they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. So they, they were inspired to say things in their language that God had given them to say as well as in other languages. Whether or not you speak in tongues is not something I'm wanting to argue with anyone about. I just want us to be open to receive all that God has for us. Who wants to receive everything God has for you? Amen. So right now, right where we're sitting, they were sitting. The Holy Spirit came upon them and filled the whole place where they were sitting. So we're sitting right here. Let's just take the next few minutes. It's early. It's only 10.52 in Denver. (laughs) Let me lead you in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I want all that you have for me. I want the forgiveness of sins. I want the fullness of your spirit. Fill me, Lord. Now just close your eyes and just honor the Lord by just waiting on Him. Just being silent before Him in His presence. Make yourself available. It doesn't mean we have to wait ten days, but we just wait and be filled. In Luke 11, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Verse 11, Luke 11, 11, he says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. Verse 13, If you then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So two things 
involved in asking. Number one, believing there's something to ask for. Number two, ask. Keep on asking until it's fulfilled. Keep on knocking until it's open. Keep on seeking until you find. And in that quest for more of God in your life, your life will change more than ever. Oh, I'm too rebellious. This is a promise for the rebellious. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we receive by faith. I thank you, Lord, that you're putting a hunger in hearts, maybe where it hasn't been or maybe where it was and it's kind of grown weak. Lord, increase the level of our hunger for more of your Holy Spirit. For those of us that believe we are Spirit-filled, Lord, may we desire to be filled again just like it happens in this book. Make us an actual book of Acts church. Accelerate the activity around here, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those that aren't sure whether or not there is a Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray like those in Acts 19, may we be open to all that you have for us, knowing that you won't give us stones, snakes, or scorpions. You will give us what we ask for. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Shake leads us in a, in a song. Can we stand? And as we stand, can the ministry team come forward? And if you'd like to receive prayer about anything, it could be uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we've been talking about, or it could be healing or wisdom or reconciliation or anything else. We want to be up here to pray for you. So, Prayer team, if you guys could go ahead and come on up. Eight or ten of you, just come on up. And as they're coming, let's sing and worship the Lord. And as they're coming, if you'd like to receive prayer, don't miss this opportunity that is yours to be prayed for. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close.